0: Remain standing, take your Bibles, turn over to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, Ephesians, chapter number 6. Deacons, just in case I forget, we want to have the Lord's Supper next Sunday night. So don't let me uh, forget that. If I didn't say it while I'm thinking about it, I might forget. And help us with that. Look forward to that next Sunday night with our church family. Uh, we're in Ephesians chapter number six. I've got about three hours of preaching. I'm going to cram into two. How's that? We got a bunch of baptisms tonight. We got a whole bunch of folk getting baptized tonight. Amen. am excited about that. Ephesians chapter six, verse number 10. If you're there, say amen. amen. Bible says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I want to preach for a little bit tonight on a thought. I planned on preaching a message back in February. I started working on this in February and God wouldn't let me preach it. I think I said something for the pulpit about preaching it. It was a message. Now it's a series. I don't know how long it's going to take, but we'll just mind the Lord. But we're gonna preach a little bit for the next few weeks on Sunday night on the rules of engagement. Come on. Oh, Come on. Yeah. Rules yes. of engagement, amen? Yes. I love the way this service started out. Yes. I'm on the winning side. Yes. I've enlisted in the fight yes. for the cause of truth and right. Praise yes. the Lord, I'm on the winning side, yes. amen? So we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about this matter of getting engaged to end the battle and asking God for direction and wisdom and leadership over these next few weeks. Pray for us. Lord, we ask you that you help us now as we turn our hearts and minds to the scripture. Do what only you can do in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You can be seated. I want to begin by saying... That as far as I'm concerned, one of the most misunderstood elements of biblical Christianity is the aspect of warfare and of being a soldier. In a society that is heavily influenced by pacifists and snowflakes, the concept of warfare has become distorted and in some cases completely obliterated. Make no mistake, warfare and battle... And being a soldier is a crucial part of biblical Christianity. Dr. Lester Roloff said this years ago. He said, life is not a recreation room. It is a battlefield. I think a lot of Christians have failed to recognize that. And just to be honest with you, I'm sick and tired of the pacifist narrative. That's been perpetuated by a lot of independent Baptist pastors. They're more interested in diplomacy than they are in defending the faith. They talk more about being tactful than they do about being truthful. They're more comfortable with compromise than they are with confrontation. And as a result of that, we're producing a generation of weenies and wimps instead of a generation of warriors. They get more worked up about following the mandates of Dr. Fauci than they do the God Almighty. I recognized in the last few years that the breed of Christianity that we have today, very few of them understand this idea of warfare, understand what it means to be a soldier They don't understand what it means to be engaged in the battle. They don't understand what it means to put on the armor of God. And our Bible is crystal clear that we are in a battle. Why else would the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter number six tell the people of God to put on the whole armor of God? Why would you put on armor if you're not in a war? Why would you gird yourself? Why would you strap on these pieces of armor and these weapons and And why would you have this mentality if we're not engaged in a war? We are. The Bible says to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We've got people not standing today. They're sitting down. Many of them are asleep. And if they are not asleep and if they're not sitting down, many of them are running in the opposite direction. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our battle today is not with man. Our battle today is not with a, a political party. Our battle today is not with a political candidate. Our battle today is a spiritual battle. We're engaged in something far more serious than a political battle or in a battle with people or a battle with ideas or ideology. We're in a battle against the very demons and devils of hell. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, verse 12, but against the principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. We are dealing today with spiritual warfare. But I want to encourage the church on the outset of the series that Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. As we said at the beginning of the service, we've read the back of the book. We know how the story ends. And in case you're here tonight and you haven't read the back of the book, we win. God wins. Jesus Christ is the final victor in this battle. But in the meantime, we have a war to fight. We have a battle to fight. I want you to turn with me, if you would, please, to Exodus chapter 15. If it's all right with you, we're going to use our Bible tonight. This is a participator sport tonight. Keep your Bibles open. Follow along in the scriptures as we've got quite a bit of ground to cover. This is an introductory message as part one of the series. We will do a deep dive into this subject over the next few weeks as the Lord gives us liberty and direction. But I find it fascinating. Exodus chapter 15, verse number three says, the Lord is a man of war. For those that may be here tonight and you're kind of sitting on that, that, uh, that bench of pacifism and, and, and non-confrontational uh, brand of Christianity, the God that you and I serve, the God that saved us, the God that sent Jesus to die on the cross, and the God that gave us the Bible, the God that gave us the gospel, the God that we worship and serve and, and, and are sons of tonight, the Bible says is a man of war. All right. And I love the fact that probably the first recorded song service in the Bible is all about that subject. In Exodus chapter 15. The children of Israel have just come through the Red Sea. They walked across on dry ground. God rolled the waters back and he moved them across the Red Sea in a miraculous way. Pharaoh and his army came in pursuit, got about halfway across the Red Sea. God knocked the wheels off the chariots, brought the waters back on them, and they were obliterated in the the Red Sea. And that is what is the, the, the cause of this song service. In chapter 15 of the book of Exodus, verse 1, then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake saying, I will sing unto the Lord for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song and he has become my salvation. He is my God and I will prepare him in habitation, my father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name, Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Now this is a song by the way. Stay with me. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright as a heap, and the depths were congealed. In the heart of the sea, you thought your grandmother's congealed salad was a new thing. God congealed the Red Sea all the way back. In Exodus chapter 14, can I get a witness? Amen. He turned the Red Sea into a big old bowl of pudding. Jello, amen. The Bible says in verse number nine, the enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with thy wind. The sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee? Glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. Thou stretchest out thy right hand. The earth swallowed them. Thou and thy mercy has led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. The people shall fe- hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestine. Are y'all following me tonight? The first song service in the Bible was a song about the warfare and the battles that God fought for his people to overcome evil. I'd like to be in there and sung that song with them. I like to heard it when they just told the piano and organ, just stop, let's just sing it a cappella. Right. And they sung that verse about the power of God and the might of God and the, and the prevailing power of God over the enemy. Say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying the God that we love and serve is a God of war. He's a man of war, the Bible says. What an interesting word. God, the Lord, all capital L-O-R-D, all capital L-O-R-D, that's Jehovah God. God is a man of war. (laughs) Amen. Amen. So, if talking about battles and war and confrontation and adversity and conflict makes you nervous, don't be. Amen. Some of the greatest characters in the Bible were warriors, fighters, and soldiers. Abraham in Genesis 14:14 14, 14, armed his and trained his servants to fight. They did it in Genesis 14, and when he heard that Lot was taken captive, he Bible says he armed his trained servants, born in his own house 318 and pursued them unto Dan and they defeated a number of kings And their armies. Now I don't know how big their armies were. But there was only 318 with Abraham. And they won. So they were more than just farmers. They were more than just sheep herders. They were more than just cowboys. These boys knew how to fight. These boys had weapons. And they knew how to use them. Can I get a witness? Abraham. Armed and trained. His servants to fight. Joshua was a... Oh, man of war a leader in battle, a general in battle that led his soldiers into battle while serving Moses. Remember the message we preached several months ago about Aaron and about her, how they stood on top of that hill and held up the hands of Moses while Joshua and the armies fought. And I thought about this. Who taught Joshua and these men how to fight? They were slaves in Egypt. They grew up in Egypt stomping out mud and straw and making bricks. Where did they learn how to fight? They learned how to fight when God took them out of Egypt, they learned how to fight when they got over there in that wilderness. If you've got an aversion to warfare, you need to read your Bible. David was a warrior. The Bible tells us David was a warrior from a young from a young age in First Samuel chapter number sixteen and verse number eighteen. One of the servants of Saul said, "Behold, I've seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning." In playing, he played the harp. He's cunning in playing. Boy, that young lady tore that ukulele all to pieces, didn't she? Boy, I love that. Brought back memories when we were in Samoa. He used to play the ukulele in Samoa. I don't know how to play it now. I forgot how to play it, but I wouldn't mind picking that back up again. Some songs just sound better with a ukulele. And, and 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 David played the harp, and he was skillful on the harp. And he had the hands and the fingers and the coordination to be able to play those strings and play those chords. But those same hands that could strum that harp and bring a soothing spirit to Saul was the same hands that could destroy a a lion with his bare hands and a bear with his bare hands and a man that could take a sword and he could know how to use it. He was a man of war. In fact, when they introduced him to Saul, they said he's cunning and playing and a mighty valiant man and a man of war. We don't even have a record of what war he fought before he killed Goliath, but he had a reputation. Hey Amen. He was a man's man. This series is going to have so much masculine toxicity in it. The toxic masculinity is going to be oozing. I mean dripping off of this, off of this series. Amen. Any if you guys walk in here with pink hair, you're going to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Listen to me. Listen to me. He was a man after God's only heart. Amen. He wrote the book of Psalms. He knew how to worship. He knew how to pray. He knew how to get a hold of God. He had a relationship. I preached this morning about David who was desperate for the touch and the hand of God, desired the presence of God, but he was a fighting machine. He wasn't afraid of conflict. He was a man of war, a valiant man, prudent in matters and a comely person and the Lord is with him. Let this soak in just a little bit. Nehemiah, what a man Nehemiah was. When you read Nehemiah chapter number one, you find Nehemiah is just a cupbearer. He's a destroyer. He's an expendable crewman. Can we say it? His job was to fill the vessels and taste the food and sample the food and make sure nobody was trying to kill and poison the king. I mean, his life was absolutely worthless in those days, if you think about it. And yet the Bible tells us that after praying and fasting, God burdened his heart to rebuild the walls and put the gates back up that had been burned with fire. And the Bible tells us in chapter two that he went before the king and he said, send me that I may build the walls. And God let Nehemiah go and take a group of people back to Jerusalem and in record time 52 days they built the wall but you got to understand this they had to build the wall in shifts the Bible says half of them had a trowel in their hand half of them was building and the other half stood there with weapons to keep the enemy at bay I read those verses again this afternoon in Nehemiah chapter 4 Verse number 15, he said, it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us and God had brought their counsel to naught that we returned all of us to the wall, everyone unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears and the shields and the bows And the Habergens and the leaders, the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They would build it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, everyone with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held his weapon. For the builders, everyone that had his sword girded by his side, and so builded. Building and battling. Building and battling. Are y'all getting the picture here? Nehemiah, one of the greatest leaders that you'll find in your Bible, understood that if you're going to build something and you're going to do something for God, you better be armed and you better be ready to fight. And yet we got people today that won't fight. They won't, they won't fight for their family. They won't fight for their marriage. They won't fight for their kids. They won't fight for their church. They won't fight for that book. They take Bible verses out of context. It drives me crazy drives me crazy. Everybody in the Bible that God did anything of any significance with, they were engaged. They were engaged in the battle. They understood that sometimes you've got to fight. We could go on and on tonight. I mean, we could just go on and on. That was just a couple of examples. But for the sake of time, let's jump into the outline. The first thing I want to notice about the rules of engagement is our identity tonight. Our identity as Christians. You see, I'm not... I'm not really a soldier. I'm not a warrior. You're talking somebody else. You're talking all the type A personalities. You're talking all the alpha males. You're talking all. No, 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 no. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 3: Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Right. We're called soldiers, we're called to be soldiers. We're called to conduct ourselves like soldiers. That's who we are as Christians. <laughs> Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. Is that not what the song says? I believe he's talking to all of us. Here's what he said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number four. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. He said, well, when I got saved, I don't remember anybody telling me anything about being a soldier. Yeah, there was a whole lot of fine print nobody read to you when you got saved. I'm thrilled tonight to be able to read the fine print to you, All right, When you got saved, when you got born again saved by the grace of God, there was a whole lot of stuff happened to you. You were birthed into the family of God. The Holy Spirit of God indwelt you. All the sins that you'd ever committed were washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. You were promised a home in heaven. You were given all kinds of blessings and benefits for being a Christian. Oh, and one of the things was, you signed up to fight. Signed up to fight. You say, I don't remember that. It happened. It happened. You're a soldier of Jesus Christ. The Bible's filled. I mean, Ephesians chapter number six, he's talking to the believer. He's talking to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter number six. Put on the whole armor of God. You can come back and say, well, he's talking to Timothy. In Timothy, he's talking to the pastors. He's talking to the, the clergy. He's talking to those that are full time in the ministry. When he told Timothy to endure hardness as a soldier, well, Ephesians chapter number six was written to the church at Ephesus. Right. Yeah. He told all of them to put on the armor. He told all of them, all of them that were wrestling against flesh and blood, and not, not wrestling against flesh and blood. He told all of them that we're in a battle with principalities and with powers. Right. Right. And if you haven't noticed. The enemy is powerful. They have control of the airwaves. They've got control of the media. They've got control of the television stations. They've got control of the news stations. They've got control over all of the movies that are being pumped out of the pits of hell in Hollywood and that are, being, that are using to program the minds of our young people. They're in control from all the way from the cartoon network all the way through. All of it's been controlled. They're powerful. But the Bible tells us that That we wrestle not against flesh and blood But against principalities and against powers They're powerful Sticking your head in the sand is not an option Thinking if you ignore it that it will go away That's not an option That's not a workable plan you and I have got to come to grips tonight with the fact that as Christians, we are soldiers. We've got soldiers here tonight. We've got people sitting in this service that have been in active duty, been in active combat. As Christians, we're in, we're in a battle. Yes, sir. We see our identity. Secondly, we see our instruction as soldiers. There's four parts to our instruction that we're gonna look at tonight. Just This is all introductory couple things that we're instructed to do. Number one, we're instructed to defend, to defend. That's what armies and military does. They defend, they defend their country. They defend the citizens of the country that they are fighting for. They're they're defending their people, protecting their people from those that are coming in and trying to invade them. Philippians chapter one, verse number seven. Paul said, for even as it is meet for me to think of this of you all because I have you in my heart in as much as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. Paul said, even in prison, I'm a defender of the gospel. I'm I'm at war. Philippians chapter one, verse number 17, Paul says, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Paul woke up every day with a warfare mentality, knowing that his job and his calling and his identity and his instruction was to defend the gospel. Not only are we called to defend, but our instructions are to contend. Okay, defend is defensive. as a defensive posture. Right. But we are to take the battle to the enemy. Yes, sir. That's what Jude chapter one, verse three says. He says, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. That's not a defensive posture. That is an, that is an offensive posture. Right. Contending for the faith. We're not just defending, but we're contending. Amen. That's not a state of mind, by the way. Right, right. You don't contend for the faith sitting in your recliner, laying in your bed with your eyes closed, thinking about it. It's something that you actually have to do. There's right. right. not nearly enough Christians today contending for the faith. Right. Right. Come on. The enemy is gaining so much ground. You see, not only do, our instruction is to defend and to contend. You say, but I, I don't like that word contend. It sounds a lot like contentious. Right. Yeah. Now you're getting it. Yeah. What do you think salt does in an open wound? Yeah. Salt in the earth. You're the salt of the earth. Right. We like to think about salt in our food; it makes it better. But salt in an open wound burns. It right. irritates. Yeah. We're the salt of the earth. And he says, if the salt hath lost its savor, it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trod under the foot of men. He says, if you don't have the savor of salt in order to be able to do what salt was designed to do, you're worthless to me. It's good for nothing. That's what Jesus said. That means sometimes you're going to rub people the wrong way. That means sometimes being a Christian is going to put you at odds with people around you, people that you love. It's going to put you at odds. You're going to find yourself some days in a crossroads and you're going to be forced to make a decision that's going to make somebody you like not like you. Our instruction is to defend, is to contend. Thirdly, our instruction is to upend. I like that word. Amen. Jesus flipped some tables over when he went in the temple, did he not? That's what that word up in means. It means to turn upside down. That's what the word means. Here's what God told Jeremiah to do in Jeremiah chapter number one, verse 10. See this day I have set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Is everybody still with me? God's people need to be turning some stuff upside down. Yes, sir. Some of y'all, some of y'all need to run for the school board in this county and change the curriculum in this county. Yeah. Had a man call me this past week. He said, Do you think you could get some of your people to run? Do you think we could get you think we could get Christians? He didn't say your people. He said, Do you think we could get Christians to, to to start a grassroots movement to run for school board and run for local government? I said, You can't even get them to pray. Good luck getting them to run for office. If you won't get out on your knees and pray, that's about as easy as it gets. The people of God were sent to upend kingdoms, nations, are y'all still with me? Nations and kingdoms. He said, go in there and turn it upside down. Root out, pull down, destroy, throw down. Our instructions are to defend, to contend, to upend, fourthly, to apprehend. I like that word. It means to see, to take to take possession of, to seize, to lay hold of. That's what it means. Paul said in Philippians chapter number three. Not as though I had already attained, verse 12, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but with this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I want to put my hands on the prize. I want to have some victories in my life. Well, you can't have victories without battle. You can't have victories without conflict. We want to have victory without without breaking a sweat. I hate to break it to you, but we're not playing chess. This is a battle. There's going to be some blood. There's going to be some sweat. There's going to be some broken hearts. There's going to be some battle scars. There's going to be some wounds. There's going to be some severed relationships. There are going to be casualties in this war. I'm serious. I said just the other night, I said, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of having to walk away from people that have changed. As far as I'm concerned, many of them have become casualties. They got sucked in and they got swept up in all the mess. They're no longer fighting for what's right. They've become a casualty. They've changed uniforms. They're fighting under another flag. Right, as far as I'm concerned, they're turncoats. Yes, yes. Benedict Arnold's. Amen. It's like a Hithophel we preached about the other night. Yes. One of David's counselors, and now he's counseling Absalom. We got people today that have changed sides. Right and they look at us like we're the bad guy. They look at us like we're the problem. I haven't changed. I believe just like I believed when I started out, when I got saved, when I got saved in 1976, and when I surrendered to the will of God for my life at the age of 15, and when I surrendered to preach at the age of 21, I have not changed from those days. But I look around me and the ranks are getting thin. Thirdly, we see not only our identity and our instruction, but we see our involvement tonight. We have to get involved. Yes, that's we have to get engaged. We're going to get into the rules of engagement, but it's just understood that you and I are engaged in the battle. You're either fighting tonight or you're running scared. You're either confronting the enemy or you are conforming to the enemy. We are either advancing or we are retreating. We are either gaining ground or you're losing ground. There's no no other option. You're either earnestly contending for the faith or you're renouncing the faith. And if we don't fight for what we believe in, our children and our grandchildren have no hope. Marissa and Nathan and the two grandsons are on a plane right now. They're coming in from the Philippines. They're going to come in here. They're going to be here for a few weeks. They're going to be in California for this week, spend some time with Brother Nathan and his family, and they're flying in here next Saturday on the 30th. They've been on the front lines for a year. Look at them Sunday when they're sitting in church. They won't be asleep. Brother Nathan won't be asleep. Some of y'all sleep in church. You need to go to the mission field for about a year. That'll, hey, that'll break you up from sucking eggs. You won't never sleep in church again. Are y'all still with me? I can look at some of y'all when I'm preaching and realize you ain't done a blessed thing for God because you are asleep in church. This is where you get top, This is where you get your tank topped off right here. This is the all-you-can-eat buffet right here. This is where you come in when you've been out on the battlefield all week fighting hell and the devil. And you come in here and you get charged up. And if you can sleep through this, it's because you ain't doing nothing. They'll come in here and they'll come to church Sunday morning. And it'll be a year since they sit in an environment like this. Brother Sam Eastep talked to me this past week. He said, Preacher, I am still running. I'm still running on what God did for me during last year's Jubilee. He said to me, "Sam Stepp, he's probably watching right now. If you don't believe me, ask him. He said, preacher, I could run clear from Leon, Mexico, all the way to Dundalk and back. I'm still so pumped up about what God did for me during the Jubilee. And that was October of last year. And they're having church in their house. He said, we've had several saved. God's working. They're fixed to buy some property. They've had so many oppositions, so many obstacles to you would not believe it. And we got people sitting at Calvary Baptist Church. And you got that much dust on top of your sword. The only time you bring it, the only time you pick it up is for church. I'm talking about this right here. Warfare mentality. Is everybody okay? Preacher, what got into you? No, I'm preaching about war. What'd you expect me to do? Get up here in a pink suit and sing, come by y'all. What'd you expect? Turn over to to Esther. I'm going to show you something about Esther. My goodness, what a story. I debated even going here tonight. I debated going here tonight because there's so much in here. I'm going to have to run like a wild man to get it but you've got to see something tonight we're talking about our involvement not getting involved is not an option I'm going to give you five points tonight out of the book of Esther Esther chapter number three some of y'all didn't even know Esther was a book you thought that was that old woman on Sanford and Sons didn't you (laughs) you young people don't worry about that just forget it you wouldn't understand that Esther chapter number three I don't have time to tell you the whole story of the book of Esther it's awesome it's awesome there was a man named Haman that hated the people of God And here, I want to show you, first of all, the reason for the opposition. The reason for the opposition, why we are in a battle today is the exact same reason God's people has always been in a battle. I'm going to show you something. You're going to love this right here. Especially with these possible COVID shutdown stuff happening again. I'm talking about it happening again. I don't even want to think about it. Look at verse number eight. Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, there's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom. And their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. That word suffer means to allow or to permit. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasury. What about that? We got a group of people living amongst us. They don't follow our laws. Says the people that love diversity. That's all they can talk about is diversity. Diversity, diversity. Guess what? The church of the living God is just a little bit too diverse for them. They can't handle it. They can't handle it. Are y'all still with me? This is Esther. This is Old Testament. We're in 2023. It's almost like this was written yesterday. There's a group of people living amongst us that don't see things like we see it. They don't do all the things that the king says we ought to do. Let's just destroy them. We don't care what it costs. The reason for the opposition. I'm going to tell you why we're in a battle tonight. Because the church of the living God is a thorn in the side to the world. Yes, sir. Amen. See, the world likes darkness. They love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So guess guess why they don't get excited when a light walks in. Jesus said you're the light of the world. And they love darkness. And when a light comes in it dispels darkness. And they like darkness. So they don't like light. Which means they don't like you. If you're a light, they don't like you. If a church is a light, and this church is a light. This church is a light. This church has been a beacon. My phone's been ringing off the hook this week. Pastors all over the United States, churches all over the United States adopting that amendment we just voted on unanimously saying our church is going to vote that into our bylaws. We are not shutting our church down. Calvary Baptist Church helped do that. Calvary Baptist Church helped lead the fight on that what I'm talking about. If it will encourage one pastor and one congregation to hold their head up and keep doing what's right spite of all these bureaucrats and their unconstitutional mandates, they hate it. (laughs) They hate it. Reason for the opposition is because we don't fit in. We don't comply with all their laws. Change the definition of a marriage. Supreme Court changed the definition of a marriage. They can change it every day if they want to. The Bible's still right. God created two genders, male and female. And that's all there is. It don't, I don't care what any judge or court or, or jury comes up with. The God of heaven has defined a marriage between one man and one woman. And anybody that agrees with that is a, is a finger in the eye to the world. I remember years ago they said, what we do in our bedroom as consenting adults is nobody else's business. And now they're marching down the streets in drag and they're wanting to castrate our children. They're full of hell and they're full of the devil and we're in a spiritual war. Everybody yes, get our heads out of the sand. Right. Amen. They're coming after your kids. They're coming after your grandkids. Everybody okay? The reason for the opposition, Esther eight. Notice the reaction to the opposition in chapter number 4. Well, the end of chapter 3, the Bible says the city of Shushan was perplexed. The king and Haman, they sat down to drink. They sat down in the palace to drink, wine and dining, but the, the city was perplexed. Chapter 4, verse 1, When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes, put sackcloth on, with, on sackcloth with ashes, and went out into the midst of the city, cried with a loud and a bitter cry came even before the king's gate for none might enter to the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And the Bible says in every province whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came. There was great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. This was their reaction to the war that had been declared on them as the people of God. They didn't say, oh well, I guess pastor will take care of it. Oh well, I guess the deacons are handle it. Oh well, I guess a few politicians will try to go in there and see if they can do something about it. Every Jew all over the place was mourning. Warning, and their heart was broken and they were in sackcloth and ashes. Everybody took it personal that war had been declared on them. Look at chapter four, verse number 13. We see the realization in the opposition. Mordecai commanded to Esther, verse 13, think not that thys- with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house. Just because you're the king's, uh, the queen. Don't think you're isolated from this. Don't think you're above it. He said, don't think that that thou shalt escape more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? That's the attitude that you and I ought to be filled with tonight is recognizing that what is happening in our country, what is happening in our nation, what is happening in our public schools, what is happening in our churches, it's happening in our lifetime. And instead of us hiding under the bed, and instead of us being afraid, maybe we ought to realize that maybe God put us here for such a time as this to do something about it. Amen. Well, there's been many times I thought to God, I wish I'd have been born 150 years ago. I don't care if I had to cut firewood every night for my wife to make biscuits by hand. I don't care if I had to use an outhouse. I don't care if I had to hitch up a team to go to town. Just get me away from this perverted, sick, wicked, ungodly world we live in. But guess what? God let me be born now. I'm here now. I'm pastoring a Baptist church in 2023. We're here now. We sit around and dream about and think about what it would have been like to have been back in the days of Sheffy. Been back in the days of George Whitfield. Been back in the days of D.L. Moody. But guess what? We're here now. This is the world we live in. This is the generation God has put us here to, to reach. And we've got to understand the battle is here. Now's the time. And maybe God put you here. For such a time as this. Look at chapter eight. Boy, I'm leaving out a bunch of good stuff. Chapter number eight. They finally got Haman out of the way. They revealed him for the scoundrel that he was. He built a gallows 50 cubits high to hang Mordecai on, and they ended up hanging him on it. That's in chapter 7, verse number 9. Verse number 10. They hanged Haman on the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai. Here's the problem they'd already passed the law open season on the Jews open season on the Jews. There's going to come a day and when that day, when that clock strikes and that day hits the calendar, it's open season on the Jews. And here's what the king said. The king said, I cannot renounce that law. He said in verse number eight of chapter number eight, he said, no no man can reverse that law. I've already made that law. Everybody's already been informed that they can kill the Jews. I I can't undo that. I can't stop that. He said, but here's what we can do. Are y'all still with me? He said, we can't stop, we can't undeclare the war. We can't sign a truce. We can't surrender. We can't make the war and the opposition go away. That is already in motion. He said in verse 10, He wrote in the king Ahasuerus' name and sealed it with the king's ring, sent letters by post on horseback and riders on mules and camels and young dromedaries wherein the king granted the Jews which were in every city to gather themselves together and to stand for their life, to destroy, to slay, and to cause to perish all the power of the people and province that would assault them, both little ones and women, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. Let's keep reading. Upon one day of all the provinces, King Ahasuerus, namely upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is in the month Adar, the copy of the writing for a commandment to be given to every province was published unto all people and that the Jews should be ready against that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. Number four, we see the readiness to the opposition. It's coming. It's here, y'all. It's here. We've got public school employees in this service tonight. This is when school starts in the public schools. The whole first week, it's not alphabets. It's not learning the state capitals. It's not learning math. The whole first week is gender pronouns. I talked to one of the ladies this morning. She said, preacher, I had to sit through a stinking class. On how to protect transgender students from getting their feelings hurt. Am I right? I'm not making this up. This is this is in real time. This is school teachers. They're not teaching. They're not teaching biology. They're teaching Satanism. Or yes, sir. Yes, sir. if you tell a little boy that if he's a girl, he's a girl. I mean, civilization's been here for thousands of years. And the most remote, remote, most uneducated corners of the world, they ain't that stupid. That's what we're dealing with. That's what we're dealing with, y'all. It's here. Is Is everybody okay? You know what he said? He said, "The, the the battle is raging. You need to be ready. Verse 13, the Jews should be ready against that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. They're going to come at you with everything they got. And I can't stop them, but I'm giving you the power and the authority to defend yourself and protect what's yours. I preached a series last week, last year, 15 messages on the battle for our little ones. There it is right there, the little ones in verse number 11. Your little ones, they're coming after your little ones. They're passing laws now on the on the on the left coast where if parents do not affirm, they've already done it in Canada. If parents do not affirm their child's transgender decisions, they will take the children away from the parents. It's war, it's open war on the people of God. Y'all understand it. Y'all know this, don't you? Look at chapter number nine. Well, I, I I can't leave out the end of chapter number eight. Okay, look at verse 15. Mordecai went out from the presence of the king and rolled apparel of blue and white, and with a great Crown of gold and with a garment of fine linen and purple, and the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad, and the Jews had light and gladness and joy. Why? Because they'd been authorized to fight. That's why they were rejoicing. They're having a celebration. Look at verse 17. In every province and in every city, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness and a feast and a good day, and many of the people of the land became Jews. For the fear of the Jews fell upon them. Yes. They were they they were converted when they saw the excitement of the people that had a death sentence on them. They said, man, if you can get that excited knowing that battle's coming, I want to be y'all. I want to be you. Is that what your Bible says? Verse chapter number nine, verse one, now in the 12th month, that is the month Adar on the 13th day of the same when the king's commandment and his decree drew near to be put in execution in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, parentheses, though it was turned to the contrary, that the Jews had rule over them that hated them. Is that what your Bible says? The Jews gathered themselves together in their cities. Now, I know I'm not, y'all understand the parallel here. Do I have to break this down? I'm not talking about Jews and Gentiles. We're not talking about getting out of the streets and killing people. We're talking about the church, the people of God are being, being attacked And look at the picture that is given here. Is everybody still with me? He says in verse number two to lay hand on such as sought their hurt, and no man could withstand them, for the fear of them fell upon all people. No man could withstand them. God was with his people. Nobody could withstand them. Why do you think Ephesians 6 says, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day. It's the same word, it's the same idea. It's the same concept. And all the rulers of the province, verse 3, and the lieutenants and deputies and officers of the king helped the Jews, cause the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame went out throughout all the provinces. For this man, Mordecai waxed greater and greater greater. Thus the Jews smote all their enemies with the stroke of the sword and slaughter and destruction and did what they would unto those that hated them. Now here's the point I want to make. That's the response. To the opposition. The response was you got to go to war. Now here's, the, here, here's where I want to close. I'm, I'm going to close this right here. The church of the living God, listen to me, is invincible. Right. Yes. Yes, That's what Jesus said. That's not what I said. That's what Jesus said. Right. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Yes. That's right against it. That's what Jesus said. Now you and I are not invincible as individuals. We can fall prey to the devil in his traps and his wiles any day that we get up and leave the house and we're not spirit filled, spirit led. And we don't have our armor on. Am I right? That's what Ephesians 6 says. Put your armor on. Don't leave the house in your pajamas. Done, dog Don't leave the house in your sweatpants and your and your tank tops and your crocs. Put your armor on. We're at war. Right. Yes, sir. Get, you, get your mind right. Get your head right. You're walking through a minefield. You're walking through yes, the wilds and the yes. traps and the booby traps from hell. Yes. Get, that mind, get that mind right. There's rules of engagement. And we're at war. Yes. Yes. devil wants to take you out so bad. Daddy, he wants to take you out. If he can get you, he can get your wife and your kids probably. Yes. Right. Normally. Every now and then, there's a couple of kids that somehow or another seem to withstand it. But most kids will do what mom and daddy do. Right. Right. And if he could take out the family, he can take out the church. The church is made up of families. That's right. That's right. The church is just as vulnerable as the weakest link in the church. Yes, sir. Amen. Stay with me. If you're not careful, the devil could use you, sir. The devil could use you, ma'am, to get a foothold in this church and take it down. Exactly right. Is everybody okay? Is so you preacher you're making me scared? I'm not scared. Church is invincible. I want to just be very careful tonight. I'm not even a little bit scared. Not one molecule of fear in my heart for this world. I'm more scared of myself than I am the world. The man I shave every morning, that's the one I'm worried about. The world can't touch me can't touch his church. (laughs) Some of y'all say, I I sure wish I was that confident. Where have you been for the last three years? (laughs) What island have you been sleeping on? on. I'm not the least bit afraid. I'm more concerned about the Christians that don't understand we're in a battle and don't have their armor on and don't know how to use that sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Don't understand the importance of being prayed up and spirit filled and spirit led. They had people saying, I want to be a Jew. There's a death sentence on all of y'all. It's open season on the Jews. I want to be a Jew. That don't even make sense. That doesn't make sense. But that's exactly what we do when we go soul winning. We're invading the enemy territory and we're trying to convert them over to our side, to God's side. Absolutely <laughs> Rules of engagement Now I could have put a biblical character up there With a little loin cloth And some sandals and a sword But this is 2023 yeah. If we're going to throw down Let's do it with technology Amen <laughs> Praise God if I'm going to war Don't give me no slingshot I want a AK Damn. Are y'all with me sure. Hey cause they ain't playing no. They ain't playing they're not coming at you with slingshots. That's right. They're throwing everything in the arsenal at us. Yes, sir. Well, two can play that game. Amen. 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 Hope you get fired up tonight. Fired up. We're the army of the living God. Amen. David ran toward Goliath. Ran toward him. Ran toward Goliath. Preacher, I'm afraid. Come on, please. Are you kidding me? Preacher, I'm so afraid. Of what? we got God. He said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. He said, I've overcome the world. That's what he said, I have overcome the world. And you know what he said? Right. He said, we're more than conquerors right. through him that loved us. I'm not the least bit afraid tonight of what the world can do to the church. But we need to have a warfare mentality. Yes, sir. I'm trying to land this plane, but this kind of preaching fires me up. I was born with too much gunpowder in my cereal. I can't help it. i tell you what. There's so many cowards, yellow-bellied cowards out there, God, preachers in pulpits today, walking this tightrope, trying to be diplomatic. Forget that. We're way past diplomacy. We're way past. Hey, you ain't going to talk them out of it. You've got to overcome the darkness with light. That's what we've got to be doing. I'm talking about the Church of the Living God Full of the Holy Ghost, prayed up, walking in the Spirit, and taking back ground that we've lost for God's honor and glory. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we've got baptismal candidates that are getting ready. But right now, we're going to have an altar call.